You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on February 4, 2024, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. Now, before Christmas, before we started our Christmas uh, series, which continued into January in uh, Philippians 2, um, we have dealt uh, to a degree in some parts of 12, but uh, today uh, um, I'm doing something that I haven't done for a long time, that is I'm trying to do the whole chapter. Normally it's only a couple of verses, but uh, um, and in the process uh, uh, those verses that we've already already done um, will, will be done again in a sense as a reminder, but uh, often we need reminding. So... Let's give attention to God's word, Romans 12, verses 1, for the whole chapter to 21. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no no one evil with evil. Have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, book of Romans that Paul has written many, many hundreds of years ago, 2,000 years ago almost. And Lord, we pray that you would 
give us greater understanding and help us, Lord, not to be just hearers of the word but also doers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is God's plan to save sinners from every nation. God's electing plan was purposed in eternity and it's now been fulfilled through the great work of evangelism with the salvation of people reaching to the ends of our earth. Now over the past weeks we've been looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the sanctification of a believer. And the first 11 chapters of Romans are mostly theological. But now turn to practical and ethical aspects of the Christian life. We're now dealing with aspects of the Christian life, life in the church of Jesus Christ in the world. Everything that Paul has said in the first 11 chapters is separated now from what Paul says in the remainder of Romans by using this word in verse 1, therefore. Therefore, it's an important word. It means that something has to follow as a result of what we've already learnt in the first 11 chapters of Romans. In verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The mercies of God have been Paul's great theme so far in the 11 chapters prior. Mercy that spanned eternity in divine election, that's reached into the depth of human hearts, that's also reached into the depth of our human depravity and sin to, sa to save hell-deserving sinners like you and I by the obedience and blood of Christ. And since then, through the unfolding of time, God's mercy has spanned the earth, aiming to reach Christ for the world so that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's all about God's mercy. But now, in the light of God's mercy, we now come to some implications on how we should live. In Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, the mercies of God make us, firstly, to look upwards to God in consecration of our lives. And then, secondly, in verses 3 to 8, the mercies of God make us to look inward into our being, into ourselves, so that we are in humble service to the Lord. And thirdly, in verses 9 to 21, we look outward to love one another and to love the world, those in the world, the lost. As Paul begins this chapter, he's exhorting the Romans, that is, he's strongly encouraging the Romans to consider their duty as believers by the mercy of God's gospel of hope. You see, it's mercy that drives the engine, that drives us to Christian duty. It's not a four combustion engine. It's not a hybrid engine, you know. It's not a combination of four, four uh, cylinder combustion and electric motors. It's not even a sole EV. 
the great motivational force that drives the Christian to obedience, to duty and humble service is the mercy of God shown to us in God's plan of salvation. And firstly, you need to look to God in view of his mercy. In verse 1, we're called to a consecrated life. We're told to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 1, we're told that true worship requires the consecration of our whole lives, of our whole being. And worship, friends, is not just the praise that you offer up in the proclamation of God's word in our worship services. Worship of God entails the entirety of our lives. Live for the honour of God every single moment of the day. A lot of people today are very body conscious. People often have negative body images today. They strive to be slim or they strive to be muscly or fit. The toned body is worshipped today. And then there are some who are confused over their gender and over their identity and they seek escape from their biological gender. But this isn't the biblical view of the body. Paul says that we are to offer our bodies, not just our brains, not just our words, not just our spirits, our bodies are to be offered to God. Friends, we are not just souls that are imprisoned in the flesh. That's not the biblical view. We are soulish bodies. We are embodied souls. And the worship of our heart, of our inner being, of ourself, is always expressed in the actions of the body. So far, we've sung praises. How have you sung them? You've sung them with your body. You've been looking at scripture. How have you looked at scripture with your eyes? How have you comprehended the scripture with your brains? Friends, we are to worship with our bodies. And conversely, Paul urges us not to yield the members of our bodies as instruments to sin. Sin and obedience play out in our bodies. Consecration to God is something that happens not just with our heads, but with our whole being. So Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's calling you and I to consecration, inside and out, mind and heart, will and affections, head and eyes, ears and tongues, and hands and feet. Every single part of us is to be given up to honour God. Remember the verse, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what Paul is calling us to. That's his view of Christian consecration. How should then we respond to the mercy of God? God who sent his only begotten son, who obeyed, who bled and died in your place. Now, the worship on Sunday certainly does matter and we shouldn't neglect it. 
If your Sunday hour or two of corporate worship isn't the climax and expression of a whole life given up to the worship of God, a whole life self-surrendered to the honour of God, well, then the worship of that hour or two on a Sunday will never please God. Have you come to a place in your Christian life where you're willing to say to God, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? The mercy of God, Paul says, requires and calls for nothing less. In this life of consecration, Paul calls it in, in, in our NKJV translation, he calls it your reasonable service. In the ESV, he says, in your spiritual worship. But there's a footnote in the ESV that says, rational or reasonable, your reasonable worship. Friends, the only logical response to the mercy of God that you and I, um, that's been shown to you and I, is to give everything in the service, in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Christian life, there are no half measures and moderation. In your work, if you do, do your work half-heartedly, you won't survive. In your sport, if you play half-heartedly, you'll always lose. You can never do anything in life half-heartedly. Jesus wants your consecration every moment of the day in all areas of your life. And Jesus, he claims absolute lordship. And consecration is how we are to respond to God's mercy. God has loved us so much to, uh, uh, to bring mercy to us. How then could we withhold anything in who we are and what we have? He gave Jesus for you and I. What would you give for him? That's consecration. Now we're to be transformed. In verse 2 it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're told to do this through a transformed mind. How do you live this consecrated life? Do not be conformed to this world. Now, world here, the word world here isn't our physical earth. Paul is talking about this present evil age, which is dominated by sin and human rebellion against the rule of God, against the rule of Christ. The world is the system of human thinking and human living that's governed by people's unbelief and sin that rules our hearts. That's the world. And the world is constantly exerting pressure on us. The world pervades our being, it pervades our minds, which then drives us in how we live. And the world system of unbelief and values and ethics is always trying to get to you. Have you felt its pressure to conform to it? The world is the ultimate pressure, peer pressure cooker. Schoolmates, workmates, family and friends will pressure you to conform to the world. Otherwise there is risk of exclusion. There's pressure with alcohol and drugs and unbiblical sexual relationships with stealing and cheating and lying. If you don't conform, you'll be excluded. 
But when you don't cross the line, friends, others will join you and not cross it either. There's often pressure to break the Sabbath and neglect the worship of God. You see, there's sports practice and there's competitions and sometimes work that's scheduled on the Lord's Day and it goes on and on. The world is organised to squeeze Christians into its mould and push you away from the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that you feel this pressure. We all feel this pressure. But Paul is calling you to a different way. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the grammar here literally means go on being transformed. Go on being transformed. It's not just one event and you're done and dusted. God doesn't zap you into holiness. Transformation. Your sanctification is progressive where the spiritual moral life change begins in your mind. The mind, which is the control centre of your human personality. If you want to live a life consecrated to God so you can be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to him, then you need your mind renewed. You need a new mind. And Paul uses similar language in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How do you get a new mind? How are you transformed? The first thing, friends, is to gaze at the loveliness of Christ. In doing this, it's Jesus who becomes the one you study, the one whom you are preoccupied with, the one who you delight in. You prioritise getting to know him as he's found in scripture, determining with God's help to be like him. You adore and love him. Paul says that we are to be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, bit by bit. We are made like the one whom we are studying. You know, married couples who've been married and they've loved each other for a long time, for decades, begin to look like each other. That is, they resemble each other. They act like each other. The reflection of the one can be seen in the other. Friends, you get to be like Jesus by fixing your eyes upon him. We're to look to Christ as found in his word and he will renew your mind. Pleasing God is obviously the ultimate goal of transformation. God wants us to love and honour him by living according to his word and will. How do you come to obey God's commands in the, in the Bible? How do you come to kill sin? How do you come to mortify sin and obey God's law? This all happens by the renewal of your mind. On the other hand, a closed mind. A closed mind will never want to learn or to think deeply 
to know the Bible, to love doctrine, to grow in understanding, to know who Jesus is and why he came and, and what it means to follow him. But a dull, lazy mind that shuts out and switches off under the ministry of the word of God, such a mind will not produce transformation. In fact, a closed mind offers very little resistance to the world as it squeezes you into its mould. So firstly, in view of God's mercy, you are to look to God in renewed con consecration by having your mind renewed, leading you to a, a life transformed. Secondly, you're to look at yourself in humility. Verse 3 says, To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God knows us all too well, friends. He knows us how we're prone to be self-absorbed, obsessed with self. And so often we promote ourselves, we boast about ourselves, we push ourselves forward, often at the expense of others. Or maybe we might put ourselves down and doubt ourselves. We think that we're worthless and useless and insignificant. Now Paul rebukes the extremes of thinking like this. We're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're to think of ourselves with sober judgment, accurately reflecting the gifts and graces that God has given us, deploying them humbly in his service. You see, pride, false modesty, self-pity and insecurity are excluded in this thinking. So Paul uses the illustration of one body with many members in verses 4 to 8. Not all the members of the body have the same function. Neither do all members of the body have the same gifts or role or ministries. Our gifts differ according to the grace given to us. But we're to use what gifts we do have not complaining what gifts we have or don't have. Oh, I wish I had that gift. But you've got this one. Paul lists prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing financially, leadership and works of mercy in his brief survey of spiritual gifts. And this is not an exhaustive list, rather it's a sample list. And the gifts were... Here they fall into two categories. First, there are gifts with, that are concerned with the ministry of the word, prophecy, teaching, exhortation. And then there are gifts of serving ministry, leadership, service, contribution and mercy. And the two offices of elders and deacons broadly correspond to these two lists of gifts. However, Paul expects these gifts to be found throughout the whole congregation of God's people, by every member of the congregation as they are distributed according to God's will and purpose. You, not be, you may not be able to teach, but you can serve. You may not be able to contribute much financially, but you can exhort. You may not be able to preach the word, but you can do works of mercy. If God has gifted you, then get busy serving. 
The church doesn't need to, doesn't have to create titles, friends. It doesn't have to establish committees, which is so prone in the Presbyterian church. It doesn't have to hand out name tags so you feel important. Paul is saying that if you're a Christian, God has already gifted you for modest ministry in his service. So get busy. Use your gifts. Serve the people around you that God has placed in your life. Reach out to the lost. How many people do you know in family, in your street, in your work, in leisure, time, that need to hear the good news about Jesus? Friends, we have two weekly prayer meetings, one before church and one during the week, and we have one Bible study per week. If you haven't already, why don't you join one? Give generously and sacrificially for the work of the church. Practice hospitality. Open your home. Care for the needy. Teach the Bible. To do any of these requires the practice of humility. So Paul wants us to look inward at ourselves with sober judgment, appropriately assessing and evaluating ourselves practising the grace of humility so that the use of your gifts will be a blessing to God's people and a blessing to the world. In verses uh, 9b it says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. In verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In verse 21, do not, be, over, do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The life which doesn't em, embrace evil, that doesn't repay evil with evil, that overcomes evil with good, the good life is a life of love, is a life of love. What does verse 9a say? It starts the verse, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honour giving preference to one another. Living a life that is consecrated to God, that thinks humbly, humbly with sober judgment, that life is expressed and lived out in a community of love. A love that moves from a feeling to a practical love. Pushing past mere affection for one another into action of showing love. Now, friends, your Christianity begins with you, the individual. Individually, we must all respond, we must all respond to God's offer of grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. However, as you embrace your Christianity, you or your individual you ends. If you claim to be a Christian, but you're still fully self-absorbed, your faith in Christ is private perhaps, you never seek to serve, you never seek to care for, for anyone. Friends, this doesn't match with love for the brethren. Friends, do you ache for the lost? If your Christianity ends with the individual, then it ends. It's not the real thing. 
verses 9 to 13 says, well, it exhorts us to love the members of the church. Now, sometimes some of us are unlovely, but we're exhorted to love one another and we're to contribute to the needs of the saints and to practice hospitality. Yet in verse 14, you'll find tribulation and affliction in this passage. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Yes, there are those who are in opposition to the church, who are in opposition to the gospel and Jesus. Don't curse those who persecute you. And then in verses 15 to 16, there are exhortations to live in harmony with one another in the local church. And then Paul swings back again in verses 17 to 20, repay no one evil for evil. We're encouraged to be Christ-like towards those who are inside the church and those who are outside the church. And through showing kindness, you will awaken, you will awaken their conscience for doing some lasting eternal good. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. That is faithful Christianity that's shaped by the gospel, that's lived out in view of God's mercies. We're not to live in a safe churchy bubble and only called to serve those who are called to serve us. Can't have a heart with genuine love for God's people that doesn't also beat with love for the lost who don't know God yet. And the loss may be hurtful. The loss may be hateful. And some may even be horrible people. Was that you before you were saved? But do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we're to outlove them. We're to outserve them. Because that's the pattern that Jesus has given us, that he's given you. That's the pattern to which Paul exhorts us to conform our lives into, which we are being transformed as our minds are renewed in likeness to Jesus. And the world's, when, when, when the world sees it, it has no explanation for it. It heaps burning coals on their heads to stir conscience. What is it about him? What is it about her that you actually care? You see, people mostly don't care. God may yet use you to awaken the conscience of someone lost who's unlovely. You may... Yet, as you love them in Jesus' name, awaken them to their need for Christ. So you do, do you see the picture of the Christian life in Romans 12 that Paul is painting for us here? It is lived upwards in consecration to God. It look, looks inward at self and assesses self with sober judgment and in humility seeks to serve those around us 
to be a blessing. And it looks outward at God's people and outwards beyond them to the lost in a hostile world, loving them in Jesus' name, resolving to repay evil with good to the glory of Christ. May these thoughts remain with us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words and we, we do pray that each one of us can indeed consecrate our lives to you in a fresh and a renewed way. Lord, that we would be transformed, that we won't conform to this world, Lord, that we will offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, help us to look into your face. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to want to know you more, to be like you, that we might be a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone. We do pray, Lord, that you will humbly transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. More messages of hope at essendonpresbyterianchurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.